sermons. And uh, we're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, 35. Um, there is uh, an incredible um, story of this uh, young man named Josiah, and, and the story uh, goes through his entire reign as king and uh, in just two short chapters, and uh, we're going to be tackling that. But we are in week two of a sermon series that we're going to, uh, or going through, and the sermon series is called Idols in the Land, and uh, this week uh, we're talking about the Josiah formula. And so uh, week one, just to catch you up, uh, so last week we had uh, Richard Mangione was here, and he was able to uh, talk about his testimony and share his testimony with our crew, but two, uh, two weeks ago uh, we went ahead and we talked about this idea of idol worship and uh, really looking at, um, at it in, in, to kind of set up the whole uh, series. And so I'm going to give you that sermon in about a minute and a half or maybe two minutes. And so uh, take notes really fast if you want to catch up or just listen to Spotify later, uh, Serenag Lake Baptist Church channel. So, um, but when we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 32, uh, a couple weeks ago, what we said was four things about idols. Number one, that idols are tangible and provide immediate satisfaction. If you remember the story that we looked at, it was actually idols. Uh, it was actually when uh, uh, the Israelites uh, had come out of Egypt and Moses was up uh, getting the Ten Commandments. And as he was coming down, uh, the nation had already fallen into sin and had created an idol. And uh, so the first thing uh, that we talked about uh, last time was just that idols are tangible and provide immediate satisfaction. And that's true uh, about the idols in our, our lives as well. Uh, number two, we said that idols make promises they, they cannot keep. It's just uh, as you look at the idols and, and in the story in Exodus chapter 32 uh, of them uh, making the golden calf and, and worshiping the golden calf, this calf made promises uh, that it would lead them and guide them. And so they had trusted in this idol uh, and then eventually would destroy the idol. Moses would destroy the idol. And then number three, number three we said that idols demand com our complete allegiance um, idols will, uh, will demand our complete allegiance, that there was, uh, there was a, the idols have the ability to take over uh, more and more and more land in our lives if we allow them, as was the case in Israel, um, as they would begin to dance and they would begin to worship this idol, uh, it demanded their complete attention and allegiance. And then number four, uh, idols will rewrite your story and leave out Jesus. That is what they do. If we, look, we looked at the, uh, the story of idol worship in Exodus chapter 32, and in that story uh, of the golden calf, by the end of it, they said, this is not only the, the idol that uh, promises to lead us from here on out, but this is actually the idol. And they had this big golden calf. Uh, this is actually the idol um, that did lead us out of Egypt. And so they rewrote the story of how God had led them out of Egypt and gave credit to a golden calf cow. And so um, kind of bizarre. And then we started talking about, uh, we finished the sermon uh, with these questions of how do you know that an idol is setting up shop in your life? And so very rapid fire, five more things, and then we'll actually start preaching here. Um, but uh, what do you find yourself worrying about the most? If you want to know if you've got an idol in your life, what do you find yourself worrying about the most? Because oftentimes those can become idols in our lives. Uh, number two, uh, what causes you the most frustration in your life? What causes you the most frustration when it doesn't work out um, in your life. There's a potential that behind there somewhere uh, there is an idol. Number three, 
Uh, in your downtime, where do your thoughts wander to? This is probably one of the most powerful ones, but in your, in your downtime, in your free time, and we all have it, we just usually fill it with social media, which can be an idol. Uh, but uh, downtime, where do your thoughts wander to when you have some free time? Uh, number four, what causes you to complain the most? Uh, number five, what do you spend money on without a second thought? So we said those five things are ways that we can determine, and we must be able to identify these in our lives so that we can begin to deal with them in a biblical way. Um, the issue with an idol is it's not just surface level. Uh, next week, we'll begin to dismantle different idols in our lives together as we look at them. And um, I've had the joy of going through an, an idol inspecting my entire life for the last couple of months as I've prepared for this. Uh, very fun process. Uh, and so if I've lived, looked a little tired or wired over the past couple of months, it's because I'm analyzing my life to find out where I have those things. But how do we biblically deal with the idol problem? Uh, it is in our hearts that idols have set up. John Calvin says this, uh, that the heart of a man is a perpetual factory of idols. And many other people steal that quote and just uh, assume it as theirs. But uh, the, the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols, and, and that goes for women uh, also. And so uh, where these idols begin is in our hearts. And so as we look at dismantling idols starting next week in our lives, um, really challenge you to look, all right, where's the heart behind this? Because it's not just the, the thing that you're worshiping. There's a heart that created that idol. Um, and so where we kind of left off last time is the Israelites had, had left Egypt and they had begun uh, to worship these idols. And then uh, we're going to, as it carries through to the next uh, next area in, in Israel, the next uh, several hundred um, uh, years that were spent in Egypt, and then they came out of Egypt, uh, many non-Jewish people, or pagans as, as, we, as we would call them, uh, joined the people of Israel as they left Egypt. And so uh, they became part of, of Israelite, uh, you know, the Israelite group, uh, and, and um, when they left, they became part of the Israelite group. And so you have this pressure from inside of, I'm now an Israelite, but I've got this idol worship in my background. Uh, some scholars believe that that was part of how they came up with the golden idol to begin with. Uh, but externally, they're now going into the promised land that is inhabited uh, by all these other nations, and they all worship different gods in different ways. And so there's this internal pressure, there's this external pressure, there's this heart pressure that we all have to create idols in our lives. And so there's, uh, there's all this different pressure going on. And then and by the time of Judges, there is open idol worship. And so the, the book of Judges deals with this open idol worship. And, and the nation of Israel goes like this and ends up really tanking. Uh, and we've also got uh, the book of, of Kings. And we've got uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel that kind of chronicle those things. And then we've got the book of Chronicles, uh, which is where we're going to kind of set up today. Uh, but what began in Kings, I want to go back there for just a minute. 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So if you were waiting in 2 Chronicles, I apologize. But something happened in 1 Kings chapter 11 that was very significant. So if you, um, if you remember, the Israelites were the ones that wanted a king, right? They demanded a king, and God gave them Saul, right? And then after Saul, we had King David, and then King David's son Solomon then is the king. And Solomon does something interesting. He reestablishes, almost promotes idol worship by the end of his reign. And here's what 1 Kings chapter 11 says about King Solomon. 
Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Amorite, Edomite, uh, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they be with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clung in love. He had 700 wives, that is not a typo, and they were, uh, <laughs> they were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as it was in the heart of David his father. And then it goes on to list out all the different gods that he set up on the hilltops all around his kingdom. And Solomon begins setting up all these places of idol worship. It often was in, in the, hill, the hills around where he was reigning. And so he would look at all the hilltops, and it's sort of a picture of us trying to figure out our way to God instead of God figuring out how to come down and, and pave the way to go to him. And so these people would, uh, would go into the hill country, and they would set up these places of worship in these beautiful places. And for 14 kings... These places of worship were set up. And some of these kings were wicked kings, and some of the kings were really good kings. Some of them did some really good stuff. But a lot of these places that Solomon had built, they had never gotten dismantled. So there were kings that would say, hey, I'm going to address this idol thing, these people worshiping other gods in the nation of Israel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that. But yet, because it was Solomon, David's son, who set them up, they're sort of like, we're not going to touch those and so there's always a remnant of people that were idol worshipers in the land of Egypt. It actually, by the, by the time we get to Josiah, there's just a small remnant of people that are actually walking with the Lord, and they didn't even have the scriptures to guide them anymore. They were so far into uh, deep idol worship. Last week, we equated idols to viruses, right? Virus attacks us, and it actually masks itself as one of our own cells. It actually copies the genetic code, the DNA and actually uh, uh, bonds itself internally to us. And, and this is exactly what Solomon did. He injected the nation with idols because his heart wasn't truly the Lord's. And so this went on and on and on. And then we get to Josiah, which is like the coolest thing. So we're going to be in Second Chronicles, uh, starting in chapter 34. Uh, for later reading, just a note to make, Second uh, Kings 22 and 23 kind of give another backdrop of Josiah, uh, a few more details on Josiah. But par usual, God uses this unlikely person who's fully yielded to him to accomplish great things for the Lord. And so we're going to look at Josiah, and not all Scripture works the way that the verses work today. Not, not all Scripture is a formula for dismantling idols or a formula of do this, do this, do this, and then this is going to be the result. Josiah... I think the way he does things is a real biblical model for how to dismantle idols. And so that's why we're giving you this week two. And then as we walk through, hopefully that'll give you some good fodder for how to deal with idols in your life in the coming weeks. So we'll be in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 40, or sorry, chapter 34, starting in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 34, 1. And now the sermon starts. And so 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old. When he began to reign, he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of, his, of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. 
For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved metal images. Those were the ones, the exact ones that Solomon had set up. Second Kings says that about that. It gives that credit. Those are the ones that Solomon made. So they're extra special to Israel. He was the one to dismantle. Verse 4, and they chopped down the altars to the Baals. In his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke into pieces the ashram and carved metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to him. He also burned the bones of the priests in their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem, and in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Nephtali, in the ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the image into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Then he was done. Then he went to back to Jerusalem. So this is a nice, bright, shiny set of verses. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to deal with them together. God, thank you so much uh, for uh, making your word so accessible to us, Lord. Your word uh, just has so much power in our lives, Lord, and we just know that as we open it, that it is the very words of God. And God, as we uh, come before this and uh, these scriptures and uh, God, as we begin to dismantle and look at the idols in our lives that may be distracting us from what you want to do through us, Lord, I pray that we would respond uh, with a heart of humility and a heart of introspection, Lord, and that your spirit would just guide us as we uh, go through these scripture verses today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the verses in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 start with this guy being eight years old. Eight years old, and he begins as a king. See, what we don't see uh, in these verses without uh, turning back and looking at the background is that he had a wicked, wicked grandfather and an extremely wicked father. They, like, one-upped each other. Granddad was this way, and dad was this way. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And then you see uh, later that Josiah is actually breaking this uh, familial cycle that was happening in his family. Uh, Josiah, when he was eight years old, he is in the bedroom sleeping, and in the room next to him, people conspired and killed his father in the room next to him. So can you imagine the traumatic event of, of losing your father? And in the midst of that, for Josiah, he had this gift that God had given him in the midst of a horrible scenario of him losing his father and the very next day becoming the king. He has this gift and the gift is his mother. And she feared the Lord, and she stared, shared the stories of faith with this little kid. This single mom, uh, I can just picture her each night as she tucked him in, she told a little bit more about God's faithfulness to Israel, because they didn't have the word. We're going to discover that in a little bit. They didn't actually have the Bible to just open up and read these stories so she would story them from her memory and from the memories of her grandparents sharing with her the story of the Lord. She would begin to share these things and pray with her son. And she infused in him seeds of faith that would come to fruition. The single mom diligently planted these seeds and the whole nation would benefit from this single mom investing in her son. Uh, in parenting, uh, Paul Tripp coined this phrase, awakening God consciousness, right? Like, if you want to know how to parent godly kids or raise godly kids, promote God consciousness in your kids. Waking them up so that they can see God in every realm of life. 
Uh, make God as big as he really is. That when you look at the mountains, your daddy made that. That when you uh, look at something amazing in creation, a beautiful uh, ocean or, or something incredible or the stars at night, remind them that God did that. And this is what happened to Josiah. He was only handed stories, but he got it at a young age. He understood the things of the Lord. Raising up godly kids is not just about having a Bible study daily with them. It's about awakening and being part of awakening God consciousness within our kids and teaching them those things. So through Josiah, I'm going to talk about four keys to dismantling idols in our own lives. And I'm going to use it sort of like a recipe uh, as we look at the story of Josiah. So I'm going to read again, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, uh, verses 1 uh, through 3. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the Lord, to seek the God of David, his father. In the eighth year, he began to seek the God of his father, David. It's incredible to think that this kid at 16 years old, he's now been reigning eight years, and he remembers all those stories that his mom has told him, and he looks at his grandfather and his life now as an old man. He looks at his father and the life that he lived, and he says, I'm not going out like that. At 16 years old, he determines to look all the way back to David, a man that sought God with his heart, and pleased God with the way that he walked with him. He said, no, 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 no. That's the God that I'm going to follow. And so he begins to seek the Lord at age 16 in a deep way. This guy, it's not immediate. This guy responded to the longing of the stories of his mom told him. He responds to all these things that were invested in him. He responds to the spirit of God that's rising up in him. And as he's beginning to seek, now he's going to start to see. He's going to see all the idols around him, but it doesn't happen until he begins to seek the Lord with his heart. This traumatized little eight-year-old boy, and yet God is going to use him for great things. Don't ever say that God cannot use you. If your eyes are blinking, your brain is working, God can use you. There is never a limit on how God can use you. It has nothing to do with your past and everything to do with here forward. From when Christ entered forward, God desires to use us all in a similar way. This kid didn't ride on the coattails of those people around him. This kid personally adopted seeking the Lord. Age is irrelevant here. He had his faith. Uh, notice this in the scriptures. Notice this in the scriptures, this wording in the scriptures. He walked in the ways of David. Right? That's what it says in verse 2. He walked in the ways of David. So he had heard the stories of David. He walked in what he had heard. And then notice how it changes in verse 3. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. There's an intentionality that changed. It was, I'm going to walk in the way that I've heard that David walked, but now I'm going to seek the God that David sought. Do you see the difference? Do you see how much deeper that second phrase is? It's not just walking in what I've heard. It's no, 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 no. I want to now seek that God. And so the, the first part of dismantling idols for us is to begin to seek God in that same way. God, I want to seek your heart. 
You see, if we just walk in the ways of the things we've been told, there's a ceiling there. And the ceiling was David's walk with the Lord. Right? If if he just seeks the God that David sought, or if he just uh, seek the ways that David, or walk the ways that David walked, there's a ceiling. Because David only went so far with the Lord. Everybody does. And then God takes us, right? Number three, or uh, verse three says that he began to seek the God that David sought. And his walk with the Lord is now limitless. Limitless to the amount that God could use him. There was not a ceiling of David's walk. There's now no ceiling. And God can do as much as he wants in his life. Because he adopted, I'm going to now seek God. He took David's life to another level. Took David's life to another level. And you can see that. Even in David's life, the deep sin that we begin to see as we unravel uh, through Psalms and as we begin to read uh, more about David uh, and learn more about David through the scriptures, David had some pretty big uh, chinks in his armor. He had some pretty big uh, holes in his armor. He made some pretty big mistakes. And we don't see a whole lot of that in Josiah. He didn't limit his walk by those around him. So my first question for you is, is your heart to know Christ in all his fullness? And does your week reflect that? Does your heart, is your heart to know Christ in all his fullness? And does your week reflect that? Does it reflect a heart that wants to seek the Lord? Because the rest of the three, they all add to one another. The, re- the other three that we're going to talk about, they all add to one another. So you may be at that spot of, ooh, is my heart really to seek God? And that may be where you stop. And, and you begin, as we, we walk through these other four, that may be where you stop at this point. But, but then moving on, as this guy began to seek the Lord, all of a sudden, later in verse 3, we see that something happens. So verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, so now we're talking about a 20-year-old boy, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. And it goes through and it lists all the ways that he began to purge the community. And so once we begin to seek, then we begin to see all the idols in our lives. If we're seeking the Lord and we're, we're open with God, God, show me where there's something that's not of you and me. And if that heart is to just seek God, he begins to illuminate and bring forward uh, these things that need to be purged. It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, th- this uh, Josiah guy, he's sort of like the, the original, uh, the OG of Marie Kondo, right? And so uh, her big phrase is, my mission is to speak joy into the world through tidying, right? And, and so this, this lady, she's got this show, and it's all about uh, getting rid of the stuff you don't need and, and purging and getting rid of and cleansing out. And uh, you, you got to just watch the, inf- the, mer- the commercial for her at all to hear her say it, because she says it, and you just start to giggle because she's got an awesome accent. But... Um, Josiah sets a precedent of, no, 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 I'm not just going to seek and I'm not just going to kind of see what's going on in my life and feel the pressure of like, something's not right. I'm actually going to begin to do something about it. I'm going to begin to purge the land. And Josiah, as a leader, when Josiah begins to purge the land, everybody benefits. Parents, when you begin to purge your families, your kids and your wife and your your husband, they, they benefit. When you begin to deal with your own heart issues and your, and your own idols in your life, there are going to be multiple other people that will benefit from that. 
Because as we accumulate idols, we have replaced God. And as we've replaced God, he doesn't have access. We've shut the door to certain areas of our lives. And make no mistake, uh, this was the 12th year of his reign. So it was four years of seeking the face of God with intentionality before God began to bring these idols up in his life, in his community. See, Josiah looks around, and in the temple, literally in the temple, they had taken God's temple, and they had set up statues to all these different gods. They actually took part of the temple, and they made little rooms that they used, and the temple literally was a big brothel. I mean, there were prostitutes in there, and people would come in, Jewish and non-Jewish, and they would think they were serving God, and yet they were actually serving another God. Can you imagine how twisted this is? And how did it get this bad? We find out. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, so how old is he? In the 18th year of his reign, he began as 8, 26 years old. All right, so he's been doing this for a while. That's a lot of cleansing, right? I mean, that's like getting ready for a colonoscopy-type cleansing. And so I won't go into details on that. You can Google it later. Uh, just don't Google the video for that. Uh, just, you know, read, read the Google report. Anyways, verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land, lots of Miralax used, right? Cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shabbat, the son of Isaiah, and Messiah, or Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And so they cleanse, they purge the whole temple. They clean it all out. All the idols are gone. They're like, all right, we got some work to do. And so then what he does is he begins to send guys in, and he says, I want you to begin to repair the temple. I want you to do, uh, you know, see what we got left. Like we got rid of a lot of stuff. What do we got left? Let's go ahead and build it. So these guys are beginning to rebuild the temple. These guys are beginning to fix the temple. Uh, Second Kings says that the reason they did that was because the other kings had neglected the temple, which is kind of clear, uh, but an important uh, verse nonetheless. And then we get to verse 19. Then we get to verse 19. See, what happened when they began to cleanse the temple, when they began to clean everything out, and then they were repairing the temple. They open this rusty old door, and they go in, and they find a Bible. They find the scriptures, the books of Moses, just laying there with dust on them. Because nobody had opened them. They were just sort of in the back. You know you got that stuff in the fridge that you know you should throw out, but you just keep forgetting about? And then you open it up, and it's got a little funk to it, right? And so it's sort of like that. They just take in the Word of God, and they put it way in the back shelf, so they don't have to look at it, don't have to smell it. They just put it in the way back. And then they find it, and they're like, ooh, we should probably take this to the king. And so they bring it to the king, and here's his response when he heard the word of God. You see, this is how the idols flourished in the land for 14 generations. This is how. They took away the word of God. They took away any conviction to read the word of God. And so we get to verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. 
Have you ever felt a conviction about the sin in your life or something that you did and God's like, that wasn't good. And you're like, I can't believe I was so stupid. I can't believe it. It was there the whole time in his word. His spirit told me not to do it, and I did it. You ever have that anguish? It wasn't like Superman. You know, I mean, I mean, this guy is like, no, no, no. I can't. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe what we just did. For 14 generations, we've worshipped these idols. I cleansed the idols. But then the word of God gets there. So the, the first word we used uh, was seek. The second word was purge. The, first, the third word is humbled. He was humbled when he read the word. He was humbled when he read the word. After six years of cleansing, he's finally going to see clearly from God's perspective. And this dude was humbled. Verse 27. So they go and they find a prophetess because she was the only one in the land that could give good biblical counsel. Verse 27, because you're, here's what she says. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God responds because he did what? When he heard the word, the word did its work and he was humbled. You see, Everything that he had up until 26 years old in his walk with the Lord was void of the word of God. It wasn't his fault per se. He didn't know there was the law of Moses still sitting in the temple somewhere on a dusty shelf. So this 26 years of seeking was all void of the word of God. Anybody have a Bible here? Anybody have a Bible? You got a Bible? If you want one, you can take one of these blue ones in your seats and then you can say, yes, I have one. Those are a gift to you. If you want to take one and, and use it uh, for yourself, and uh, as long as it's not like for a coffee table, you know, like don't put legs on it, just use it in the corner. But now you have a Bible, and we have something that he didn't have for 26 years, and this guy sought the Lord. He did work on the idols in the land, and his heart was changed. But when he read the word, the word worked in his life. There are so many risks to not saturating our lives with God's word. There are so many risks, whether it's uh, reading large passages of scripture, whether it's memorizing certain verses of scripture, uh, whether it's just daily, continuously reading the word of God systematically as you walk through the Bible. There are so many risks to not doing that as a believer. And one of those is that idols seem to flourish where the word is not present. It just is something that continues to happen mainly because of three things. We, number one, we negotiate with our idols instead of eradicating them. We negotiate with our idols. Everything amped up, and, and, and again, the Second Kings account will, uh, will back it up. As soon as he finds the word, everything amped up. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're going after every idol in the land. We're going after every idol in the land. We're going to do this thing the right way. But, but without the word, there, there is some negotiation with us. Well, it's not that bad. You know, ah, I can control this little sin of choice, or I can control this little idol. I mean, it's just a little, you know, I mean, it's just social media. I, I got it. It's just, I, I got it. You can control it. Or, or we compromise. You know, someone who's not deeply committed to keeping God's word will never stay conditioned in getting rid of idols in their heart. 
we'll settle for the status quo. We'll look around at the other believers around us and say, well, as long as I'm pretty close to where they're at, I'm all right. You know, I'm pretty close. That person's been walking with the Lord a few more years than me. I don't have as many idols as they do. Um, or we simply, third, we revise the Word of God, which is maybe the most dangerous. We simply change the Word of God to make it more palatable to our ears. Never forget a conversation I had with somebody, and I've had this more than once, but one person worded it this way, um, that's just not the Jesus that I want to worship, the God of the Bible. You know, I like Jesus, kind of love him, but not the way the Bible says it. That's dangerous thought. Um, dangerous thought. The reason the word is imperative is that it cuts to our heart and our idol-prone hearts instead of surface-level cleansing. So when is the last time God's word knocked the wind out of you? When is the last time you were reading in God's word and it was where you were in a Bible study or uh, you heard something, probably not on Caleb, maybe on one of the other radio stations where they were, you, know, you heard a sermon and it just a podcast or something, and boy, God's word just knocked the wind out of you. That has to happen to me once in a while to keep up with idol cleansing. And then number fourth, and probably if you've made it to the humbling by the word and, and God really going to work and his word working in us, uh, the last word that we're going to talk about is kept. Verse 30, or, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 1, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb in the 14th day of the first month. And then it goes on and on to just talk about what he did. This guy kept something. You know what? This, this word that I would use instead of kept, he replaced the idols in the land with keeping God's word. This guy looked at the idols. You know, he'd already rebuilt the temple, and now he's starting to obey the word of God. He, he started something new. You see, it's such a trick to think that if we just take care of the idols, if we just see the idols, so we've already identified them, we're seeking the Lord, God points out an idol, and we're like, man, that is so good. I see the idols. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of that idol, I'm gonna, whatever it might be for you. Uh, that you say, I'm going to get rid of this idol. I'm gonna, th this thing is taking too much of my time. I, I'm starting to feel like this is controlling my life. I've got to do away with this idol. And, and you purge and you get rid of it. And then you read God's word. Man, you are humbled. And God on a deep heart level removes the idol. Let's say that happens. God's word, just you are just in love with God's word. And he removes the idol in your heart. Which, which is a process, a continual process as a believer, because they accumulate without any knowledge of us. And so they will be there. It's a lifelong process, but in one particular spot. So we're just saying that there's an idol that you've been convicted in your heart. God removes it even in your heart, this particular idol that God has convicted you of. If you do not replace the idol, either the same one will come back or a new one will form, or they'll bring seven friends with them. And they will multiply in your life. There doesn't need to just be action when we get convicted. There must be replacement. For me, this usually comes down to two things. So a little weight in the waters, Orion. For me, it often comes down to two things uh, that uh, God usually does in my life. And it's going back to my calling uh, to love my wife like Christ loves a church. And number two, to make disciples. That if I remember to love my wife like Christ loved the church, 
and I'm doing that on a regular basis. The calling that God placed on me is what that, so that may translate for you, your calling. And then secondly, my calling to make disciples of all nations, our collective calling to make disciples of all nations. God returns me to those two things oftentimes in this process. That there's a better way that I can love my wife and my family, and there's a, a deeper, uh, more heart level that I can make disciples. And as God shows me in both of those things, often those replace the idols that are in my lives, in our lives. Because the thing that idols do is they take our time away from the things that God is calling us to do. That's the design of an idol is it, it takes over your time. It takes over your thought life. It takes over your worries. And so the only way to combat that is to replace it with God, what God has called you to do. This is a lifelong process. As you prioritize Christ in your life and seek Him and worship Him, surrendering to Him, He will show you the idols in your life. God's position doesn't change in the arena of idol worship. God's position has never changed. As once you responded to the gospel, His position has never changed. God is jealous for your affection. God deserves your worship. God deserves your whole heart. Now it's a process. As God's refining and changing you, God's going to bring up more and more heart issues, but God is jealous for you. Uh, the picture of God's jealousy uh, that rings true in my head, I don't know why McDonald's has to do with painting a picture of God's jealousy, but if you think about a husband going through the line and ordering his food at McDonald's, and he gets up to the the window, and they say, just pull ahead a little bit, and we'll be out with your burger. You know, if you eat, you know, I mean, when we used to have six kids, and we were ordering McDonald's, it's like a 10-minute wait, and, you know, and why we didn't just go in, I don't know, but we would always, they'd be like, pull ahead 10 feet to the yellow line, and then we'll bring out your food, right? As you're waiting there, imagine this husband in the car by himself, he's waiting for food to bring home to his family from McDonald's, and he looks over, and he sees his wife, and across the table is his wife sitting with another man. And you can see that they're happy and they're talking and they're smiling. And then that man does this to your wife, the side of her face, and just takes the hair out of her eyes. And they kind of longingly look at each other. And then you see him reach over and her reach over and they meet in the middle and they hold hands. Is it right for the man in the car to be jealous? He better hope it's not hunting season because he's got the shotgun in the back, right? That's right. God's position on, on idols is looking over and seeing us, and we're holding hands with these idols. And that jealousy that would rise up in that man initially is going to be for the man across the way, right? I mean, the man that's sitting holding his wife's hand. God sees your idols as completely opposite of him. He desires to provide your worth. He desires to provide fulfillment to all the longings he placed in you. God desires that. But his love never changes. The reason he's jealous is because of his love for you. He displayed his love for you that when you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. I mean, this is the story. The story of Jesus Christ. He saw us far away and he said, uh-uh, I've chosen that one for the foundations of the world. I chose that one, and I'm going to die for that one. And by that one, I mean all of humanity. And he 
He chose His people. And He sent His Son to die for His people so that we would be reconciled to Him, be able to walk in a relationship with Him. Scripture says that by believing and receiving, we can accept that. That we believe that Christ came and Christ died for us. That He rose again to eternal life. And then we receive that message. Wow, God saw us in all of our idol-worshiping glory, in all the things that took our attention away, in all the sin that we could have, completely living apart from Him, maybe even being religious and thinking we're doing something good. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to die for that one. 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 And by believing the message and receiving it, we can have eternal life. We can have a relationship with God that is unhindered with idols. God's love doesn't change because you've got idols in your life. God wants you to go to work on the idols in your life. God wants you to dismantle the idols in your life. God wants to be the one sitting across from the booth from you, having a conversation with you, holding your hand. Guys, I know that's weird, but it's going to happen. That's what he desires, is to have that close, affectionate relationship with you. So maybe you're here and one of the questions pricked your heart. Maybe you're here and you realize, boy, I've never believed on Jesus or received him as my Savior. I've never made a commitment to begin to follow him. You can do that. We're going to have some prayer counselors up front, and you can come forward and pray with any one of us. Pat's going to be on this side, and Molly and I will be on this side. And you can come forward and pray with us. We're going to close with one more song. And if something's on your heart and you need prayer, if God's really working on you in one of these areas or just in another area, boy, if you need encouragement, come forward. We've got prayer people. If you all stand, we're going to close. I'm going to pray. We're going to close in one last song. And you respond how God prompts you. God, thank you so much for the gospel. God, I thank you so much for eternal life. I thank you so much for a relationship with you that is unhindered. Uh, Lord, God, I thank you for being a God that looks at us even when we get distracted by the things of this world and longs for a relationship with us. God, that has never changed and will never change. Uh, your desire to just spend time with your people. God, I pray that you would um, guide this time in response. God, that our hearts would be fully devoted to you. God, that you'd continue to, uh, to do work in this church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Forever I am thankful for
So forever I am thankful for 